The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. This morning, we are going to be talking about something that I believe causes the most frustration and the most friction in relationships. And not just the husband and wife relationship, but any relationship. The relationship that we have with our friends, maybe the people that we do life with in small group, uh, it could cause friction between the relationship that you have with your parents or your children, friends, coworkers, anybody that you're in a relationship with, this area is gonna cause friction. We're gonna be talking about what to do when people are not fluent in our love language. If you're taking notes, you'll see that at the top of your page, what to do when people are not fluent in my love language. Now, maybe you've been in a situation before where you've been frustrated by a language barrier. Perhaps you were out of the country and uh, you're asking for directions and you're trying to get help from someone who does not speak English. That creates a really frustrating situation. Or or maybe you're like me last night, I was trying to iron this shirt and the tag is not in English. Thank you H&M for your non-English tags. And then they've got the little symbols with like the triangle and then there's the square with the circle and the square and what does this mean? I just wanna iron my shirt. It's a, a language barrier, there's frustration there. Moms with little ones, you've been there before where your baby is fussy and you don't know why because they don't know how to talk yet. They can't tell you what they're going through. I remember when Gus was little, he had this night where I was just done. I was just exasperated with him. He was usually such a happy, easy baby, but this night he wouldn't eat his dinner. He was throwing things on the floor, just being rotten. I spanked him and put him to bed early. And the next morning I felt terrible when I found out that he had hand, foot, mouth, and he had all these blisters in the back of his little mouth, and that's why he wasn't eating, and that's why he was being fussy. But he didn't know how to talk yet, so he couldn't verbalize that, he couldn't tell me, and therefore we got frustrated with each other. I think that our our deaf community here at New Song, they probably deal with this on a daily basis. They're trying to communicate with someone who doesn't speak sign language. You guys don't often see this, but in first service, we always have a team of interpreters, and we're so thankful for those people that they break down that language barrier so that they can participate in the word with us. So language barriers create frustration. And we all know that communication is key in relationships. That's like relationships 101. Communication is key. But we've taken it a step further where we no longer want you just to be able to communicate with us, but we want you to be fluent in our love language. We want you to know the way that we best speak love and then to be fluent in that love language. If you've never heard of love languages before, don't worry, I'm going to fill you in. It's from a book that Gary Chapman wrote years ago. It's a best-selling book called The Five Love Languages. How many know what your love language is? How many have done the test? You know what your love language is. How many have no idea what I'm talking about? Anybody have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, so I'm going to fill you in. Basically, the five love languages is Gary Chapman, he, he broke the way that we give and receive love into five different categories. And you take this quiz, you answer a couple questions, and it tells you what your primary love language is, okay? This is what the, the website says about it, about it. It says, take the five love languages official assessment to discover your love language and, in, and begin improving your relationships. The five love languages profile will give you a thorough analysis of your emotional communication preference. I want you to remember that. It's about your emotional communication preference. Join more than 15 million people who have already improved their relationships by discovering your love language. Okay, so many of you know about love languages. You've taken the quiz. Maybe you're rusty. You don't remember what you are. What we're going to do because we're gonna take just a second. I'm gonna talk about each of the categories. There's five categories, and as I do, I want you to listen to these descriptions, and if you don't know your love language, or you maybe don't remember, this will give you a refresher, and you can kind of look at this and say, this is my love language. And I want you to know, too, that this isn't gonna be a typical love language message, okay? I'm planning on turning this thing upside down, right? Because that's what Jesus said. He, he came to turn the world upside down. So I want to give us a different viewpoint on this. But first, we got to build some framework, okay? So let's talk about the five love languages. The first one is words of affirmation. People who receive love best 
through this language are people who like to be affirmed through words. Now, affirmed means that we offer someone emotional support or encouragement. So if you're words of affirmation, you like to receive love when, and you receive love best when someone's offering you encouragement or emotional support through their words. Josh, Pastor Josh, my husband, is a words of affirmation guy. That's his number one love language, which means that he likes uh, whenever he mows the lawn for me to tell him that the lawn looks really great. In fact, every Saturday in summer when we pull out of the garage, if I haven't been out of the house yet, he will pull out of the garage and pull away from the house very slowly. I'll be like, why is he go? oh, the lawn, the lawn looks great, babe, you did an amazing job, looks really, really awesome. Uh, he also, on a Sunday, he, he likes for me to tell him that he did a great job on the message and with lots of words, with descriptive words. What part of the message did you like? What spoke to you the most? He likes words of affirmation. Uh, the next one is Oh, I have to say this too. If, if you're married to a words of affirmation person, then on their birthday, you know how you get a greeting card and the side that's blank, that's white, that's where they want you to fill that part in with words about how you value them, how you appreciate them. Fill that in right there, okay? That'll, that'll go a long way with a, a words of affirmation person. Here's what you don't wanna do. You don't wanna write HBD on their Facebook timeline. That's not gonna cut it with words of affirmation, okay? They wanna know that you're proud of them, that, they, that if you work with someone who's words of affirmation, they wanna know that they did an excellent job on that project. They want you to tell them what you liked about it, what they executed well. They need to be encouraged and affirmed through words. Okay, the next one is acts of service. For this person, actions speak louder than words. This is my primary love language. I receive love best when you serve me, <laughs> when, when you... Uh, when, when you help around the house, like today after church, I, I, I love for Josh to say, hey, great message, but what's really going to make me feel loved is if he says, hey, where can I take you to lunch uh, so you don't have to cook, so you don't have to do dishes? Can I, can I hang out with the kids for a few hours so you can rest and relax, and, and I'll even do some laundry for you while you're resting and relaxing? That's going to make me feel really, really loved. He's taking notes, right? Get it down. This is, this, is, this is a true thing, and I was reminded how, how we do have an emotional communication preference when on Sunday night, Josh was out of town last week, we've got three little kids, nine years old, six years old, four years old. The nine-year-old, bedtime, he's good. Take a shower, read books, he's got it down. But the two little ones, they still need help getting ready for bed. So I am brushing, helping the little one brush her teeth. And I didn't know it, but her big sister was in their room and she, was, she had taken it upon herself to get the little one's trundle bed pulled out. She put the blankets on the bed for her. She got her sister's pillow out. She got the little uh, stuffed animal, all things that I would have had to do after brushing her teeth. But she did it all without being asked. And when I walked in and I saw this, I felt so loved. And I was reminded of how real this stuff is and how we do have emotion emotional communication preferences. So much so that I, I packed her lunch a couple hours later and she got a thank you note that said, hey, thank you for being such a good helper for mommy at bedtime. And I gave her extra candy, extra starburst. I wanted her to let, you know, let her know that you loved mommy really well. Number three, quality time. For this person, what makes them feel most love is when someone gives them their undivided attention. They want to know that you're there, that you're present, that you're not distracted. It's time spent together when the phones are away and, and the TV's not on, where you're just connecting and you're really listening and, and engaged with the person as they talk to you. They, they want to know while, while you're downloading your day, they want to be able to tell that you're really listening, that you're engaged. They love that quality time. My middle daughter, Bo, is quality time. Girl, she will jump at the chance to run to Target if it's just her and mommy. She doesn't have to fight for attention uh, with the other siblings. She doesn't have to worry about being interrupted. It's just me and her, quality time in the car together. She loves that. She thrives on that. Number four is physical touch. Now, to this person, nothing speaks more deeply than appropriate touch. Now, this is high on my list too. I feel loved if Josh comes home from work and he gives me a good kiss. I feel loved if he holds my hand while we shop, if he puts his arm around me in public, uh, um, if he, he cuddles and snuggles and knows that, that sex is off the table, but he's still loving and cuddling and giving me those physical touches, that makes me feel really loved. 
Our youngest, Sunny, she's the four-year-old, and this is her primary love language. She loves hugs. Like, Buddy the Elf loves hugs. That is how Sunny loves hugs. She'd be like, somebody needs a hug. And she will just hug you and love you. Uh, She won't let me leave. Like, if I've got a babysitter, I'm heading out the door. It's like three or four big, tight hugs at night. Lots of kisses. Mom, that wasn't enough. I need more hugs, more kisses. She likes to put her hand on your leg while we're watching a TV show or wrap her arm around you. She gives and receives love through physical touch. And then the last category... The fifth category is receiving gifts. For this person, what makes them feel most loved is receiving gifts. And I thought it was interesting. It says, don't mistake this love language for materialism. The receiver of gifts thrives on the love, thoughtfulness, and effort behind the gift. The perfect gift or gesture shows that you were known, you are cared for, you you are prized above whatever was sacrificed to bring you the gift. So if you are a person who receives love through gifts, that means that uh, you're not going to be happy with a Starbucks gift card when you don't even like coffee. They don't know me. They don't appreciate me. They just picked this up at Target. It was a last minute thought. They want a thoughtful gift that there was some sacrifice involved in. Okay, so those are the five categories. Now, I want you to, as you take a notes there, I want you to go back and I want you to circle the one that you feel like best describes you. This is my love language. This is the primary way I receive love. And how this works is if this is the way that you receive love, then it's also going to be the primary way that you give love away. This is your love language. This is what you are fluent in. So go ahead and do that. And then take a peek at the person's paper sitting next to you. And you will probably notice, especially if you're a married couple, that your top love languages are different. You don't have the same top love language. You may, but I'm going to say it's pretty rare. Even with your friends, your love languages are going to be different. And this is where the frustration sets in. We want our spouse to love us the way that we prefer to be loved But that's not the way that they give love. That's not their primary language. For instance, Josh, he needs words of affirmation to feel loved. But it's more natural for me on a Sunday to give him a pat on the back and say, hey, that was a really great message. I'm going to head home. And when I get home, I'm going to do the grocery list. I'm going to pay the bills. I'm going to make sure the kids are quiet for a little while uh, so that he can rest. To me, that's me loving Josh really, really good. But to him, that's not me loving him really, really good. He doesn't care if the kids are quiet. He doesn't care if the grocery list is done or the bills are paid. What he prefers is for me to come in and sit down and really talk. Talk about the message, talk about what I loved, talk about what God spoke to me and what I think that that God spoke to other people. That would make him feel really loved and vice versa. For For him, he thinks loving me best is words, words, words. That comes natural to him. But to me, I I just want a really great kiss and I want some help uh, taking in the groceries. So we have these different languages that we speak and, and we want people to be fluent in our love language. But... Even the most intentional people, even, even if Josh knows that my love language is acts of servants, service, and I know that his is words, even if we're really intentional and we try really hard to learn how to speak his language, their language fluently, we're still not going to get it right because we're imperfect people. We're not always going to love people the way that they prefer to be loved. So language barriers are always going to exist because we're imperfect people in relationship. We're going to have those language barriers in our life. And today we're going to talk about how we can start to break those barriers down. And we're going to talk about how to have healthy relationships. Who, who wants to have healthy relationships? Anybody in here want to be engaged in healthy relationships? You want a healthy marriage? You want healthy friendships? You want your relationship with your parents to be healthy? Your, your, you want your relationship with your kids to be healthy? You want to have those kind of relationships with your kids where they grow up and they still want to be close with you? We all desire healthy relationships. So I've got three points for you today. And I believe uh, that these are really going to help us to to get to that place where all of our our relationships are thriving and healthy. Okay, the first one is others over self. If we're going to have healthy relationships, we have to put others over self. For our relationships to work, we have to give people grace. 
Because God has shown us grace, we need to show others grace. But here's what happened. Here's what happens. We take these quizzes, we find this knowledge out about ourselves, and then we use this knowledge as an excuse to get offended when someone's not speaking our love language. Instead of giving them grace and realizing they're not always going to get it right, we make it all about us, about our, commu- uh, our emotional communication preference. We have to put others over self. When we don't, here's what happened. Friendships get strained. There, there's one friend that finds out that she receives love best through quality time. And so she starts demanding that of her friends. And you're not a good friend if you can't give me quality time because this is the way that I receive love. But that friend isn't in a season in her life where she can offer a lot of quality time. She, can't, she just can't make it happen. So this friend starts to get offended and starts to get mad and there's a strain on that relationship. We do the same thing with our children. Our relationship with our children becomes strained. We're words of, or we're acts of service, and we want our kids to help around the house. And we, they know they're supposed to take out the trash. They know that we don't like the shoes and socks all over the house. And we get home from work, and we're tired, and we see the shoes and socks everywhere, and we start to pick up the, sho- the shoes and the socks, and they start to talk to us. And those shoes and socks start to say, your kids don't love you. Your kids don't value you. They don't know that, that you're, they don't, they don't appreciate all you do. And then you get frustrated with your kids. And really, it's not that your kids don't love you. It's not. It's that they just forget where the closet is sometimes. They just have other things going on. They still love you. They still value you. But you get offended. A relationship with our spouse can become strained. Maybe this Valentine's Day, you're a words of affirmation person. And you were expecting a handwritten poem about how lovely you are. And instead, your spouse gave you an extravagant gift. You received the gift, you opened the gift, but you didn't really receive it. You put a wall up and you said, that's not my emotional communication preference. He knows that I'm a words of affirmation person, that I'm supposed to be loved this way. And that relationship becomes strained. I want you to hear this this morning. When we start to get choosy about how we receive love, it makes us very self Centered, And that's the culture that we live in. We live in a very self-centered, uh, a very self-centered culture. And, and the Bible says this isn't the way that we do things. The Bible says, guess what? Love has no communication preference. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 and various translations says, love cares more for others than for self. Love isn't always me First, love is not self-seeking. Love does not inflate its own importance. Love does not selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not self-absorbed. Love is not self-absorbed. It's others over self. So if we're going to have these healthy relationships that every one of us in here desires, it happens when we do this. When we stop looking to the people that we do life with as the source of love in our lives. And we start looking to them as the people that we can love and care for more than ourselves. That's when we start to experience health in our relationships. It's not about us. Me first doesn't work in a healthy relationship. It's others over self. Others over self. We have to get this out of our head. This is how I need to be loved. Uh, Focus on my emotional communication preference. We need to start focusing on the emotional communication preference of those around us instead of always thinking about us. So others over self is the first thing uh, that we got to get in place if we're going to have a healthy relationship. Number two is God over others. So we've got others over self. Now we've got God over others. Now I want you to hear me this morning. Relationships are important. Relationships, marriage, friendship, any type of relationship, they're important. They're not just a good thing, they're a God thing. And we believe that at New Song. That's why we push small groups. We want you engaged in biblical community. That's why we teach series like Bridges. That's why we want you on a serve team. We want you to be surrounded by people that you're doing life with, that you're making a difference in the kingdom of God with. So relationships are a good thing. They're a God thing. We see God says it's not good for man to be alone. But let me tell you this. If we start to put relationships before God, they're no longer a good thing and they're no longer a God thing. They become an idol in our life. The Lord's been talking to me about this lately. We have to stop making idols out of our relationships. 
John Calvin said, the human mind is a perpetual factory of idols, meaning we're just constantly pumping out idols. What, what is an idol? Let's look. Let's look in scripture. It says, 1 John 5, 21, it says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And then if we look in the Amplified, it breaks out, out a little bit for us. It gives us a little bit more depth. It says, little children, believers, dear ones, guard yourselves from idols, false teachings, moral compromises, and Anything, everyone say anything, anything that would take God's place in your heart. You're taking notes, write this down. Idolatry is anything that replaces your devotion to God. At its core, it's worshiping and serving any created thing above the creator. It's when you start to cling to and rely upon other things instead of clinging to and relying upon God's love. And here's where relationships become idols. We start to cling to and we start to rely upon the love of our spouse. We start to cling to and rely upon the words from a friend, the quality time spent with a friend. We start to cling to and rely upon love from relationships instead of clinging to and relying upon love from God. And when we do that, we kick him off the throne of our heart and we put an imperfect person there in his place and that is dangerous ground to tread look at this in first corinthians 10 14 it says therefore my beloved run keep far far away from any sort of idolatry and that includes loving anything more than god or participating in anything that leads to sin and enslaves the soul i'm speaking as to wise and sensible people. Judge carefully and thoughtfully consider for yourselves what I say. I love that, that Paul lets us know here. He's not talking to dum-dums. He doesn't say, hey, dum-dums, don't have idols. He says, hey, wise and sensible people, you're at risk for having idols. You need to run. When you start to get the hint that something is replacing God in your life, run from that. Now, typically, when we think of idols, I don't know about you, but I don't think of my, my spouse. I don't think of my kids. I, I think of like Indiana Jones and there's like an idol in that or like the golden calf that the Israelites, uh, they fashion. Or we think of things that are kind of evil, like love of money is an idol or power or fame. Those can become idols in our life. But I want to read to you something that I read as I was studying this week that really woke me up about what idolatry really is. It says the greatest danger of idolatry comes not from what is bad, but from what is good, good. like love in relationships. The love that we experience in relationships is a good thing. The greatest danger to best comes from second best. I'm sure there are people in here who have said these things just like I've said. The next best, best thing to happen to me after giving my life to Jesus is my husband and my children. Those are the next best. Well, let me tell you, since they're second best, they're the greatest, that's the greatest risk for idolatry in my life. What's, what's the, the greatest danger to best comes from second best, those things that you love. That's what you're going to be at risk for making an idol in your life. Like broccoli, I'm not at risk for making broccoli an idol in my life. Because I'm not a huge fan of it. But I am a huge fan of that man and our children and even this church. And I know that looking back over the last 15 years of my life, there have been far too many times when I've made my husband and my children my idol. And I've looked to them as my source of love. I've clung to them for joy and purpose and fulfillment. I've clung to you for joy and purpose and fulfillment. That's making an idol out of relationships. We have to put God over others. Now, when I kind of realized that I had done this and my heart broke, and I kind of trying to reason it out, justify it a little bit, then the Holy Spirit led me to this. Matthew 10, 37. This is Jesus talking. He says, the person who loves his father or mother more than me does not deserve to be my disciple. The person who loves a son or daughter more than me does not deserve to be my disciple. The message says, if you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. If you prefer son or daughter over me, you don't deserve me. Now, that's a really, really strong 
couple of sentences from Jesus, but he knew that it had to be said because he knew that the greatest danger to best is second best. And oftentimes second best are those people in our life that we're in relationship with, our husband, our wife, our mom and dad, our children. He knew that we needed to be warned. He knew that, that, that there's a danger that comes when we make idols out of relationships in our hearts. We can't depend on earthly relationships to satisfy our need for love and communion. We have to cling to and rely upon God. Now, I think uh, I, I, I want to be careful that you, you hear me when I say it's not wrong to have a huge and intense and passionate love for your people. But you do need to make sure that your love for God is huger and intenser and passionate-er, okay? We've got to keep God first. In fact, Jesus says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. He doesn't want you to be a liar. He doesn't want you to say, I love God and I'm abandoning everything. No one else matters. But he, what he wants you to do is love him, but love him first. And then you can love your, your, your family and children after him. We just got to make sure that we keep that in the right order. And, and, and let me say this, as we're talking about idols, any single people in the house this morning? Singles, look around, look around, grab some numbers after church. Um, uh, let, me, let me tell you what God laid on my heart for you this week. You are, you are in a place in life where you de- you're desiring a relationship. And, and he just showed me this, the love that you desire, that deep hole is not ring-shaped, Okay, that hole isn't ring-shaped, it's God-shaped. So do not make your desire for that relationship an idol in your heart either. We're not only at risk for making relationships an idol, but the desire for a relationship an idol. Okay, so keep God first. I think sometimes when we hear about God saying, run from idols, flee from idolatry. We see in the Ten Commandments, have no other gods before me. We can get this image of God like he's some insecure and jealous friend in elementary school. Anybody ever have a friend uh, like this where they're real possessive of you and they get all freaked out when you play with other people on the playground? I had a friend like that. She didn't want me to play with anyone but her. I remember my mom being like, Sarah, she she does not own you. You can play with whoever you want to. And and I think sometimes we think of God as like that. He's insecure. He doesn't doesn't want us to ditch him. So he's got to put these commandments in place so, so we don't ditch him. But that's not what God's after here. That's not his heart. Why he tells us to not have any gods before him and why we are not to to make idols out of relationship is because he's concerned about us getting hurt. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows that when we put imperfect people on the throne of our hearts, that they won't be able to satisfy us and fulfill us like he can. And when they don't satisfy us, then we're going to turn to things that only heap more unfulfillment and more pain onto our lives. If you've got a wife that you love, you're madly in love with this woman. You've never stopped loving her. She's amazing. She's godly. She cares for you. She cares for your kids. You love her so much, she kicked God off of his throne and now she's on the throne of your heart. Well, what happens is she can't fill that God-sized hole perfectly. As wonderful as she is, she is not God and she can't fill that hole. And what happens is you start to look for gods with little G's to fill in the gaps. So you turn to something like pornography. You turn to something like an emotional fair at the office. You're just reaching and grasping, trying to fill those holes in. Or maybe it's a mentor that you have that you work with, and, and he's great. He pours into you. He affirms you. He gives you quality time. He's helping you raise your kids and build your business, but he can't always be there for you because he's got a life of his own. And, and you've put him as an idol in your heart. You're looking to him for affirmation. You're looking to him for quality time, and we can't always give it to you. You've got those gaps. You gotta fill those gaps in with something so you turn to something like gambling or or something, just something to make you feel satisfied. Or maybe students in here, maybe it's a parent. Maybe uh, as great as your parents are, uh, they're, they're not perfect. And you look to them, you've made them an idol in your heart and you bring home a paper that you worked really hard on. You gave it your best, but it's a B minus. 
and, and you show it to your parents and they don't say it, but you can see in their face that they're disappointed. And because you've made them an idol in your heart and, and because you're looking at them, relying on them for that approval, your heart starts to, to, to feel empty. And you have to get on Instagram and you start posting things and you start really tracking how many likes you're getting, how many followers you're getting. What can I do to get more likes? You're relying and clinging to social media to fill in those gaps in your heart. God doesn't want us to put people above him because he knows when they can't love us exactly the way that we need to be loved, that we're going to turn to things that will hurt us and leave us feeling more empty than ever. We got to get these things. God over others and others over self. Others over self, God over others. When I read through the scriptures this week, I read hundreds of scriptures on love. And those were the two themes that kept coming up. Others over self, God over others. Others over self, God over others. I did not find one scripture that said, beloved, Little children, rely and cling to the love that your friends have for you. I did not find one scripture that said, be mindful, pay attention on how your BFF can serve you better. I didn't find one scripture that said anything like that. It was all others over self, God over others. I just want to kind of rapid fire read you a couple of scriptures that just show you these themes in the word of God. First John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us, not the love that man has for us, the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. John 15, 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. First uh, John four twelve. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. First John three one. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Listen, our culture has this all backwards. It's all about <clears throat> me first, and, and love me, and look at me, and serve me. But it should be love God, keep your eyes on Him. And serve others. Now, if we can get these things into play in our lives, if we can really begin to put others over self and God over others, then I truly believe that this last Valentine's Day could be your last Valentine's Day. You, feel, you, you spend feeling unloved, disappointed, and not fulfilled. I, I, I believe that there's people in this room that, that had a rough day on Wednesday, either because you didn't have a Valentine or because the Valentine that you did have or do have that didn't love you according to your emotional communication preference. So you are, are left feeling unfulfilled and unloved. But I'm telling you, if you will start putting these things into play, not only will that be your last Valentine's Day where you're unfulfilled, it can be the last day of your life that you have to feel that way, unfulfilled and unloved. When you get your eyes off yourself and start connecting with the love that God has for you, then you live in point number three, which is love overflows. Others over self, God over others, then love overflows. Hear me this morning, Christians, Christ followers in this room, we are not called to be entitled, selfish, love-starved people. There are way too many Christians walking around and they're love-starved. They're so thirsty for love. That makes no sense. The God that we serve is love. We are called to be undeserving, selfless, and love-stuffed people who can't wait to give out of their overflow. God wants us to love people out of a place of overflow. How do you get to that place of overflow? Well, you have to start every day. You have to be intentional to connect with God's love for you. You have to start looking for love in all the wrong places. Subtitle, looking for love in all the wrong places. And you need to start connecting with God's love for you. Imagine starting every single day. Letting God pour into you his never stopping, never ending, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's how he wants you to start your day. Full. So full that you're overflowing into the lives of other people. This is in your notes. I think it's a a fill in the blank. It says, when we connect with God's love and allow him to fill us, 
We're able to minister to others from a deep well instead of going through the day thirsty and dependent on others to quench our thirst. We got to keep quit going around with our cup. Love me, love me, I'm thirsty. I need you to love me. And I said, we got to let God fill that cup with his well that never runs dry so that we can pour out into others. Here's the thing too. There's some of you in here who are afraid to pour love out because you're afraid if you pour your love out that you're gonna run dry. But God says that he's the well that doesn't run dry. That you'll always have a reserve of love. And it also says that you reap what you sow. So begin to sow love, pour love, look how you can serve others, look for ways that you can speak someone else's love language and all of your needs will always be met according to God's riches and glory. Now we talked about love languages as we begin and we're gonna close talking about love languages. I want you to see something really neat here this morning and that is that God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit speak all five love languages fluently. They're experts at these love languages. And when you spend time connecting with the God who is love, who speaks all of these languages fluently, he's not only going to meet your need for love, but then he's going he's gonna to begin to show you how you can love people using these same languages that he uses all the time. Okay. The first one's words of affirmation. God wants to love you with his words. I want to show you this in scripture in, in Mark chapter 1. Jesus has just been baptized. And in verse 10 it says, And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Verse 11, Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is the ultimate words of affirmation. You are my beloved son and who I and whom I am well pleased. This is God the Father offering emotional support and encouragement to his son Jesus. Now what I want you to see here is that at this point Jesus had done nothing. He had not walked on water. He had done no miracles. He had not saved one person. He had not healed one person. He had not taught one message. He had not cast out one demon. He had done nothing. God did not love him because of what he could do or what he could accomplish. God loved him because he was his beloved son. And the same is true for you. You're waiting for someone to love you. You're doing things, trying to get acceptance and approval. And God says, stop. I love you already. You are already accepted by me. He wants to affirm you with his word. So here's how you can practically do that. Get in his word and look intently for words of affirmation. And you'll begin to find things out like you're a child of God. You're a friend of Jesus. You're justified and redeemed. You're set free from sin and death. You're a fellow heir with Christ. You're forgiven, accepted, chosen, and called holy and blameless, alive in Christ, and seated in heavenly places, to name a few. We got to get in his word. We got to stop clinging to what everyone else says about us. We got to cling to the only words that really matter, what God says about you. He wants to love you through his words. Number two is acts of service. God wants to love you with acts of service. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant. Jesus was called the servant king. He himself said, this is what the son of man has done. He came to serve, not to be served. So don't you think the servant king, the one who came to serve and not be served, wants to love you through acts of service. We see him washing the disciples' feet, serving them, caring for them. He wants to serve you. Now, Jesus cannot make your bed. He cannot do your laundry and he cannot carry in your groceries. But I wanna show you that he wants to carry something that weigh more than your groceries. Psalm 55, 22 says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of of you. He wants to serve you. He wants to care for you. He sees you. He sees you overwhelmed. He sees you stressed out. He sees you carrying the weight of, your, of the world on your shoulders. And he's saying, here, let me help. Let me help. He is whispering. The Holy Spirit's constantly whispering to you the four most romantic words that any acts of service person can ever hear. How can I help? 
The Holy Spirit's there. How can I help? How can I help today? Let me help you. I want to serve you. I'm the servant king. Let me carry you. Let me carry your burdens. How can I help? Here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to be like Peter. Like Peter was at first when Jesus came to wash his feet. He says, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, you're not going to wash my feet ever. He said that to Jesus. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, not only my feet, then wash my hands and wash my head. Some of you are persistent saying, you're not going to help me. I can do this on my own. I don't need you. He's saying, let me help you. If you don't let me help you, I can't, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. You'll never fulfill the call that God has on your life if you don't let him serve you, if you don't let him love you through acts of service. Number three is quality time. God wants to spend quality time with you. We see Jesus spending quality time with people all throughout the gospels. We see him having these intimate meals with the disciples. We see him on these boat rides where he could have just checked out and been like, hey guys, you guys go do your thing. I need some time to myself. But no, he invested in them. He spent quality time pouring into them, teaching them things. We see him spend quality time with the woman at the well and with Mary, the sister of Martha. She sat at his feet and they spent quality time together. And he says, she's the one who's got this right. She understands that this is what, what is important. Quality time with me. He wants to spend quality quality time with you. And the thing about Jesus is any time spent with him is always going to be quality if you come ready to connect and you come free from distraction and you are present. If you come and you're not really there, it's not going to be quality, but it's not his fault. That's your fault. Any time you spend with him, when you come and you're ready to have quality time, he's ready too. And it will be so quality. And, and the, the thing that I love about God is his availability. You know, you, you want to spend quality time with someone and they're like, okay, let me check my planner. Okay, looks like in three weeks from now, I can give you an hour. And usually during that hour, they're probably distracted. They're, they're a busy person. They got a lot going on, but not Jesus. You want to have quality time? He is always available. You don't have to reserve a time with him. He, in the middle of the night, when you wake up, when you're stressed out at work, whatever, he is there. He's ready to connect with you in a quality way. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. You know, that's kind of like a, a hot topic right now, being present. Like there's all these self-help books about how we can be present. We have to really think about being present with the people that we loved. It's so sad, but it's so true that we have to, to be intentional about I'm going to, to put my phone away. I'm going to be present with my kids right now. I'm not going to think about work. I'm going to be present with my husband. I'm going to be present with this girl right now. We, we have to think and try and, and, to be present, but not God. I got good news for you. God doesn't own a smartphone. He's always present. He's not distracted. He's not disengaged. He is very present. He doesn't even have to tell himself, okay, Sarah's coming to me for prayer. Okay, I got to get all these distractions out of my mind. I got to focus. I got to be present here with her right now in this moment. No, he just is. That's who he is. He is very present. He wants to spend quality time with you. If you find yourself starved for quality time, it's because you're not bringing quality time. You're not bringing quality when you meet with Jesus. If you bring the quality, he'll bring the quality. And your number four is physical time will be fulfilled in a way that no one else can fulfill. Number four is physical touch. God wants to love you through physical touch. I believe that Jesus was a hugger. There's no scriptures that talk about Jesus being a hugger. But there are scriptures that, there's countless scriptures that talk about him laying his hands on people to administer healing to them. He could have done that any way he chose, but he chose his hands. He went to lay his physical hands, a physical touch to administer healing to people. Uh, we see when the disciples uh, were trying to keep the kids from Jesus and he said, no, you let those children come to me. It didn't say that he then like patted them on the head like, Hi, kids, you stay over here, arms distant, I'll pat you on the head. It says he grabbed them up in his arms. It says that he held them in the crook of his arm. I love that. That is my Jesus. He loved to minister to people through physical touch. And you would be thinking, that's great, uh, but Jesus isn't here. Jesus is way up there and I'm way down here. So how can I receive a hug from Jesus, a physical touch from Jesus? Let me show you. John 16, 7. 
says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. Listen to me. Jesus did leave, but he did not leave you high and dry. He sent the Holy Spirit. And one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is that he's comforter with a capital C. And that comforter with a capital C wants to be in close fellowship with you. He wants to be in close fellowship, so close that you can feel him, that you can tangibly feel his presence. That's one of the first things that I pray for someone when I hear that they're going through a hard time. Lord, God, wrap your arms around that person. Help them to feel your love and comfort in a way that they've never felt it before. Help them to know that you are close by, that you're in close fellowship. Let them feel your arms around them. He may administer physical touch through a person. I remember when when Josh and I delivered our son stillborn and all that was wrapped up and we were heading home from the hospital. It was a 15 minute drive home. And we were still so broken that we couldn't drive 15 minutes without pulling over to the side of the road and sobbing. And we walked into our house and our son who was four at the time had no idea what was going on. And he dropped what he was doing in his little green playroom and he met me at the door and he hugged me and he hugged me and he hugged me. And I don't know, he, he didn't know what was going on. His mind didn't know, but I know that his spirit knew. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but I know that God was using his little arms to, to minister healing to me. It was a physical touch from God. Maybe it's up here at our altars. You come and you get hands laid on you. And when that person puts their hands on you, you know it's not just them. You know that God is using their physical touch to love you. He wants to love you through physical touch. Number five is receiving gifts. God wants to love you by giving you gifts. And God is the best giver. He's an extravagant gift giver. He wants to daily administer gifts to you. He wants to give you things like love and grace and peace and his spirit, freedom, strength, purpose. He wants to give you the gift of direct access to him through prayer, hope, divine help, provision, talent, gifts of the spirit, mercies that are new every morning. Your children are a gift. Your spouse is a gift. He has so many gifts that he wants to give to you. James 1.17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Listen, he's the originator of every good and perfect gift that you have in your lives. And remember at the beginning, we talked about how people who who have this love language, they want to know that there was a sacrifice made to bring them this gift. And I want you to know today that there was a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice made so that we could receive the gifts that God has for us. It was only because of Jesus. It's only because of Jesus that we have any access to these gifts. You read through the scripture. It's almost funny to read and see how like there's just gifts Every page, it talks about a gift that God has for us. But the only way that we get access to it is through his son, Jesus, the greatest gift. I want to close today looking at John 3.16. John 3.16, this is a very well-known verse. You've known this. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this since you were little. It's at football games. It's kind of like the, it's the verse of Christianity. But I want to look at it a little bit different this morning and break it down a little bit differently. So I want you to really leave here understanding how great a gift that Jesus Christ is to us. It says, for God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest company that he gave, the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift. That whosoever, the greatest opportunity, believes the greatest simplicity in him, the greatest attraction, should not perish the greatest promise, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. Jesus wants to love you. God wants to love you.
through gifts, starting with the gift of Jesus Christ. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, maybe you've had this gift presented to you and you know it's a great gift, but maybe you've never felt worthy to receive it. Maybe, maybe you've, uh, you said a prayer when you were a child, but, but you, you didn't fully walk it out. You didn't, you didn't exactly know what was going on. Maybe you, you've received this gift, but you feel far from God. You don't feel loved from God, loved by God. If you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, or if you want to recommit your life to him this morning, if you want to receive that gift, the greatest gift, if you would just simply raise your hand, raise your hand and put it right back down. I'm going to wait just a moment. If you're in here this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you can lift up your hand and put it right back down. Okay, I see that hand. See that hand. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. What we're going to do now is we're going to say a prayer together because we've all been here. We've all said this prayer before, and, and we're going to say it and, and say it with, with our new brother or sister in Christ that is receiving this gift for the first time. We're going to say it like we mean it. And, and uh, I just encourage you to keep your heads bowed, keep your eyes closed, and don't just lip service this. Really say this and think about what's happening in the heart of that person that's making Jesus the Lord of their life today. Father God, I thank you for your son Jesus, for the greatest gift. Thank you for making it so simple to receive. I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I need a savior. I invite you, Jesus, to be my savior, to be my Lord. I believe that you died on the cross to make a way for me, to make a bridge for me. I thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation that is now mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.